welcome once again to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm your host, John Harris, for an important discussion this morning. Even if you are not a Lutheran, you're going to want to listen to this discussion because no matter what denomination or even if you're in an independent church organization you're part of, ministry, obviously social justice has made inroads into all kinds of places. And uh, it's not even just social justice. It's just it's modern secularism. It's modernity. It's it's all these anti Christian secular notions uh, or um, humanist notions, if you want to call them that, that have made their way deep into the heart of Western uh, churches and ministries. And so um, as we're listening to what's happening in the Missouri Synod, I just like you to think about your own context, whether you're Lutheran or not. And if you are Lutheran, please uh, take up, write a letter, do something positive to help um your denomination escaped the the tragic shipwreck that other denominations have fallen into. Uh, with me to help discuss this, because he is way more knowledgeable than me, is David Ramirez. David Ramirez is uh, the pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, and he's been following this very closely. So, David, I appreciate you joining me. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. So what's happening? Uh, I, I noticed there was a Twitter thread that gained a lot of attention in the Missouri Synod uh, from Ryan Turnipseed, I believe is the name. At least that's the Twitter account name. And a number of people sent this to me. And it was just jaw dropping that the Luther's larger catechism, there's a new edition that is to be published. And the changes are just incredible uh, in regards to LGBT issues and, and just a whole bunch of things. So Walk us through that. What is actually happening right now? Um, so I, I, I'd clarify one thing uh, right off the bat, um, that the catechism itself was not changed. Um, the stuff that it has been found objectionable or unclear by um, a wide variety of folks, and pro- undoubtedly the stuff that you saw, was actually contained in essays um, that were included in with a new um, a new edition of Luther's large catechism. So the catechism itself, the text remains absolutely unchanged. But I think this goes to the heart of maybe some confusion in the project in general. And, and so it's no less concerning. So Luther's large catechism um, is, is obviously larger than the small one. And uh, he's, he, you know, he, he's going on this tangent and that tangent. And so the, the plan was, was to provide annotations, notes, um, uh, to, to help readers understand the context more. So very well and good. But for some reason, and I think this kind of uh, caused a lot of the, the problem, was that they decided to include something like 60 or 70 essays in the same volume. And uh, I don't see how that makes a lot of sense, um, because that's one of our confessional doc- documents that we not only use for teaching, but all pastors um, uh, promise to uphold uh, the teachings of the large catechism as a, you know, true and pure exposition of the word of God. And so to connect these essays, it's not changing the text, but it's giving it tons and tons of teaching weight. I don't know if that makes sense, but but by putting it in the same volume. And so um, this, this uh, new edition uh, with notes and, and essays, that came out on January 20th. And I'm, I'm giving the exact date for the listeners because things moved incredibly fast. Um, so on the 20th, that new edition came out in, on Kindle, you know, so 
uh, people got it. And there was a lot of concern automatically of what was contained in these essays. Um, as you alluded to, there was uh, at best confusing language, at worst, uh, very troubling and uh, bad terminology, bad frames, bad examples that seemed to just uh, meet uh, or, or, or ape the leftist talking points that we see in, you know, kind of SJW or woke uh, America. Uh, and, and so that caused a lot of concern. And you alluded to uh, Ryan Turnipseed's thread, and uh, it, it's actually not an anonymous account, come to find out. I assumed it was. I've never met a Turnipseed in my life, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's a real person. He's a layman. I, I think he's like 20 years old um, uh, out, in, uh, out west somewhere. I'm not quite sure. But no, he he confirmed he's a real person. And so um, I, I don't even understand uh, or, or can relate who exactly said what, where, and when on Twitter. But I, I think credit for raising the alarm or at least spreading the word should be given to, to, to Ryan because he put together a thread. I assume that's the same thread. It was like, right. I don't know, nine or 10, nine or 10 uh, tweets uh, all, all put together. And uh, he kind of documented and uh, was raising the alarm. And it was incredible how many people saw it. I think it was like 200 something thousand impressions, which I know not everyone you know, read it thoroughly, but that's huge for, for the Lutheran world. I, I don't know about uh, other denominations, but Lutheran Twitter is pretty small, um, but that was incredible. And so the concerns that were raised there then um, got spread by a million different means. I, uh, I, I saw so many emails uh, that people either sent to me or said that they were talking to other people about it. Phone calls were being made saying, what in the world is going on? Because everyone thought, at least me, I shouldn't say everyone, I thought it was just going to be the large catechism with annotations. So um, I was kind of excited about the project, and I still am. I hope there's still a lot of good stuff that can be salvaged. But anyway, more and more concerns spread over the weekend. And um, finally, uh, on Monday evening, around 730, uh, the president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, uh, Matthew Harrison, uh, he put out a statement saying we're going to halt uh, production uh, or distribution of the uh, of the uh, uh, of the book. And I know that <clears throat> some folks in the in the Synod and also on Twitter have said, well, this is really horrible because he's been mobbed by Twitter folks and uh, they've just whipped up this frenzy. And so th this is really bad. And I, I can't believe that that's accurate. And I know for a fact it's not accurate because I personally know dozens and dozens of people who sent in letters. I think it's very dismissive and ridiculous to say that, uh, that the president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, who I don't think reads Twitter, is going to let a Twitter storm uh, influence him like this. Um, full credit where credit is due. Everyone on Twitter, in, on Lutheran Twitter, really raised the alarm. And they were essential to, to, to get this re-looked at. But I know, like I said, personally, dozens of people who sent in letters to the president, to their district officials, that's our local regional leaders. And if I know dozens and dozens of people, undoubtedly, and I don't think this is any exaggeration, hundreds and hundreds of people sent letters in, as he alludes to in his statement. Do you mind if I read that? Is that okay? Please, please go for it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, 
so well yeah i i, I, I he put it up on uh twitter and facebook so um the timestamp is yeah 738 on monday and this is what uh, is written a message from president harrison grace and peace to you in christ jesus in light of the concerns raised i have asked cph to cease distribution of the new annotated large catechism this will allow us time to evaluate the comments and critiques received and revisit our doctrinal review process which is my responsibility we steadfastly proclaim Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sinners and stand forgiven and unafraid, committed to Jesus Christ and his inerrant scriptures in the face of all cultural opposition. I ask for your patience. Reverend Dr. Matthew C. Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I, I think that um, this also uh, shows uh, us and, you know, the whole world and the church that uh that he received tons and tons of comments and critiques. And uh, this is what caused him to, to put a pause as someone, I, I don't know who said it, but uh, someone said, you know, he, he put a pause on this project. I also think that um, he owned uh, the, the situation. I mean, he says, you know, we, we need to evaluate, we need to review. And he said, this is my responsibility. So in the Missouri Synod, um, the chief, uh, doctrinal reviewer, uh, the one who oversees doctrine and practice and is to address concerns like this is uh, President Harrison. And uh, I don't understand all of the internal processes and who did what, where, when, but this project was, was done under the auspices of our uh, um, CTCR, uh, which is, um, uh, uh, you know, our, our theology and church relations um, uh, committee or, or board that that does a lot of doctrinal work but also the office of the president so i i i've got to really say that while i think that there were failures by the ctcr and the office of the president to let it get to this point i i'm really pleased and uh you know proud of uh, our president who who took responsibility and took the ball and said okay we we got to deal with this there's enough serious critiques and uh, I mean, this was kind of risky uh, for him to do. It was gutsy. And um, it certainly didn't earn him a lot of friends. I mean, maybe it, maybe it gained, uh, helped him gain respect among people who are concerned. But I mean, to halt produ production like this, I don't think this has happened in, 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 in at least a, a decade or so. It's happened before. Um, so it's not unique. But uh, it hasn't happened in, in 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 recent uh, at least extremely recent history so um yeah I, I think it was a it was a gutsy move i think it was a faithful move and i think uh uh you know it's it's good for him to ask for patience and to say uh you know please let me do my job and uh i i mean you, I, I think that you know anybody who cares about these issues um your viewers and especially the the, the lutherans out there pray for him you know, pray for him to be discerning and wise and uh, and to to continue in this boldness, I guess. Yeah, I'm encouraged to see it because this is often not the case, especially in Southern Baptist circles, which I've covered probably more than any other denomination. But I would say it's the same way, I think, to an extent in PCA and other denominations, uh, even some of these uh, Pentecostal denominations that have problems with social justice. They They don't tend to have leaders who are willing to then 
um, listen to what laymen are writing them or lay pastors or uh, even even just pastors. I mean, sometimes there's there's a professional class that develops in the managerial elites in these denominations, and they tend to run things. And um, in the Southern Baptist Convention, since I, I'm more familiar with that, You'll notice even at their annual meetings, when you have concerns come up from the audience, there's even favoritism when it comes to what microphone they call on and uh, strategies to shut down conversation or debate on topics that they don't feel uh, are conducive to their agenda. And and this is such a contrast to that, to have the president of a denomination say, you know, we might have gotten some things wrong. A lot of people wrote in, let's put a pause on this and let's let's get to the bottom of it. That's unique. And I hope that the Lutherans, uh, the Missouri Synod Lutherans keep this attitude because it's a good one. It, it means that there's at least some humility at the top. Uh, I I want to show people what, because this is serious though. Um, I mean, we're positive about the fact that this is put, this is on pause, but I, correct me if I'm wrong. This doesn't mean that some of these changes won't actually go through. It, it's just no. You're absolutely correct. Right. Yeah, you're. I mean, there's no, there's no um, guarantee that the objectionable material will be gone. Yeah, yeah. And so, and and I don't think you went into a lot of detail about what that objectionable material is. If I could just pull up, this is the, uh, if people can see this, I think they can. This is the uh, thread that people are talking about here. Um, and, you know, I don't know if there's more to this that David, uh, you can add, but um, the, the uh, accusation here is that uh, the else, let's see, uh, it says, first we have the LCMS speaking for conservative Lutherans entirely denying self-defense and bearing arms being moral. So that's the first issue. And I could read that if you want, but. Um, well, if you don't mind me jumping in for a second. I'd, li- um, I'd love for you to jump in. Yeah. I, I, so um, I, I, I would say this more generally, and um, I'll, I'll give my opinion on where each one of these fit in, if you like. Yeah. But um, I think that, that the critiques on, the, um, on, on these essays and the content of these essays that were linked to the large catechism, they, they fall into um, a couple of categories of critique. Um, one is, I think that some of these issues uh, truly could just be um, a, a lack of clarity, frankly, um, because uh, some of these folks I, I know and I've read other writings. I mean, I can't speak for them. I haven't talked to them in the last week. However, um, I think some places it's just a lack of clarity and there is no uh, false theology um, intended. Um, uh, so I, I, I just want to say that uh, up front, but that's not to minimize the problem. I mean, you're going to put an essay next to large catechism. You yeah. should be extra 100% clear. The second category I would say is uh, whether it's intended or not, I can't see into people's heart, but whether it's intended or not, like I said before, there's a lot of um, terminology and examples and um, framework, uh, assumed framework that that has been imported into these essays that gets used in, I would say, an uncritical manner, whether that's intentional or not, is kind of immaterial. It's there and it and it turns into a bunch of signaling uh, for Marxist or woke um, ideas. And, and that's just bad, regardless of intention. Um, that's, that, that, that stuff's got to go. And then um, you have the issue of authorship, which I don't know if you saw, I, uh, that wasn't talked as much online. 
Um, in the Missouri Synod, we're, we feel very strongly about who should teach authoritatively in the church. Historically, we don't have females uh, or women uh, writing uh, and teaching theology, as you, you know, is very, very clear in the scriptures. We, we don't need to go all into that. Um, that has been, we've been getting a, a slightly loosier and goosier about that in recent decades. And so there's several female authors who, of course, I don't know, I'm not trying to personally slander them, but they have no business teaching in, in a document like this. It's, it's very inappropriate. Uh, and it goes against our history and tradition. So, and so you're saying some of these essayists are, though they cannot serve in a church, according to the doctrine of the Lutheran church, they are permitted to give commentary on the very catechism used to teach people in the church. Yeah, it makes no saying? sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's been this um, reductionistic view that has gained in strength in the Missouri Synod, and this is a decades-old problem. Um, the Missouri Synod used to be very clear about, um, you know, the God-given order of creation, uh, specifically between men and women in the home, in the church, even in, uh, you know, in the state or the civil government. And um, uh, there's been this reductionistic drift to just say, well, what's authoritative uh, uh, preaching? And sometimes people avoid using the word teaching in the church. And they'll say, well, that means women can't be pastors. Yeah, but, you know, what the role of the pastor is, is defined as being uh, the one who preaches and teaches. And uh, so folks have tried to kind of go around this. And uh, this is another sign of that. So that's a deeper issue than kind of these uh, hot button uh, actual uh, words or phrases or things that were, were taught in the, <clears throat> in the document. A another related concern on authorship was that we had some non-Missouri Synod folks. I don't know if you're aware of this. No, For some reason, um, another Lutheran body uh, that split off of the very liberal ELCA, which we talked a little bit about last time, um, some, some authors uh, from what's called the NALC. Now, now we get into Lutheran alphabet soup, which makes everyone glaze over and fall asleep. But um, the NALC, to give them credit, they left the ELCA, but they still have female pastors. They still don't believe in inerrancy uh, full-throatedly. Um, uh, they, 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 I mean, there's just, I could go on and on and on. Uh, they, inviting those guys, uh, many of whom are, 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 are guys with a lot of integrity to leave what they left, but yet have them teach in this document makes zero sense. Um, and then, of course, most egregiously was there is an ELCA pastor that was invited to uh, to teach in this. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's just absurd. Uh, so those are kind of the different levels of, I would say, confusion uh, that's caused by this. Um, but I know you want to get into to the actual texts, but I just no, wanted to like important. lay that out there. Yeah, it's very important. Denominational boundaries being... Um... I guess on the on the very the borders of them being uh, kind of undefined or at least open to outsiders, and then um, well, there's a time and place like sure. like what you just said, like on the borders. Uh, you know, I, I'm I glad you, I'm glad you put it that way because you know if you're gonna have maybe like a church relations discussion or or fellowship talks with someone, and you say, hey, uh, you know, let's let's write some things so we can talk to each other. But everybody knows that this is more of an exploratory document. This is not to be for, uh, you know, totally trustworthy stuff used in the parish or something like that. That's fine. What's objectionable is, is that you have these guys um, teaching in a, in a book, writing essays, 
that's connected to the large catechism, one of our confessional documents. And, and that should be our own guides. And that's not to say, um, oh, we're so arrogant and proud that we can't learn from anyone else. But it's saying, no, we've, we've been blessed uh, with lots of, lots of people who can teach faithfully. And why in the world would we have someone who we couldn't commune with because of, um, you know, uh, not, no unity of doctrine? Um, and yet uh, they're going to teach uh, the pastors and then that trickle down into the parishes. It just does not make any logical sense. Sure. So, yeah, the, yeah. the, the more concerning thing and, and one that I've seen in other denominations is the whole uh, let's uh, approach this subject of women's roles. And instead of asking, what is the design of God? They ask, what can what are all the things that we can do without technically breaking a direct command? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, Danny Aiken at Southeastern Seminary called this kinder gentle gentler complementarianism and that's what he said he believed and that uh well there might be situations where even a, a female can preach on a sunday morning but it's it's very narrow she can't have the role of an elder but um you you see this i remember when jd greer was president of the southern baptist convention it was like women were on the staff in all these various categories uh, of uh, having authority but they just couldn't be an elder so they could do things that were you know, impacting the job of an elder, um, you, you could write even curriculum, you know, that kind of thing was happening, at least in the in the Southern Baptist circles. And people at the top did not see a contradiction between that and Paul's exhortation. I do not per, yeah. uh, permit a woman to uh, have authority over a man. And yeah. it's it, it's fascinating to me because I think it like obviously there's not a cross pollination between the Southern Baptists and the Missouri Synod Lutherans. I don't think at least like they're not going to the same conferences. They're not they're They're in different parts of uh, the country to some to, for the most part. But um, modernity affects all of them, uh, all these denominations and the uh, slackening or the, the loosening of standards uh, of the created order the categories that god has given us and the assumption that that things are just arbitrary um seems to have invaded everywhere and and so yeah i totally agree and and i i like how you said that attitude of well well why can't i or what can i do that that's the wrong question you know exactly i mean we sh we should just be thankful for god telling us who we are and who we are to be i mean it's kind of like it's kind of like if if a young couple said, uh, you know, to their parents or or to their pastor, and said, "Well, how far can we go?" Not to be too salacious, but you know, how far sure, can we go? Sure. Instead of saying, "How can we be, uh, you know, careful about purity and what God has designed for marriage?" And I, I mean, that's the wrong question. How far can I go to the fire uh, before I can get burned? Wrong question. <laughs> the question is, how can you be safe and careful? Right. You know? Right. So yeah, let's let's go through uh, some more of this, um, and I'm going to see if I can share the screen here and show everyone what we're looking at. So uh, that was one of the issues. I don't know if we want to. Can we go through all of these? Maybe not. Um, let's go through a few more though. So the next one, he he says, this sounds very serious. We have an um, equivocation of homosexuality, pornography, sodomy, pedophilia whorishness and transgenderism with heterosexual fornication outside of sex. That is the LCMS can't say sodomy is evil without softening it 
uh, with, but so is straight sex before marriage. So the the uh, equivocation of these um, uh, of the the natural order that God has set up with these perversions of that. Um, and right. I'll read the language real quick. Uh, so some of us are burdened with homosexual lust, and, and he goes through this vice list. Um, they are to uh, more often they are the speck in our neighbor's eye rather than the log in our own. For decades, if we didn't wink at fornication, we certainly turned our eyes from it as well. So it's blaming the Missouri Synod for, or, or Lutherans, I guess, for turning a blind eye to these other sins, which maybe there's a point to be made here, but it it, it strikes to me, it, it hits me as they're, uh, they're softening these, these legitimate sins that are at our gates, barbarians at the gates, ripping down the gates, coming in, and they're saying, yeah, you know, but uh, it, it's really some, the, the real problem isn't those guys. Don't pay attention to those. The real problem is what's happening, you know, f- further back. And it's like, guys, there, there may be problems further back, but the barbarians are ripping down the gates. That's how I see it. What do you think? Uh, I, I I honestly have the exact same take. <clears throat> and I'm I'm pulling up my version, uh, not version, but I, I'm I'm pulling up what what uh what was said in this the the fuller <clears throat> the fuller context because I honestly think that that where this paragraph goes wrong um, is actually the, uh, right where uh, you uh, where it cut off in the screenshot that you have. Oh, okay. Um, where so it says we shudder in disgust um, when it suits us. Well, I, I just want to read the the rest of it. We shudder in disgust when it suits us, forgetting that we too follow our hearts, that organ which produces every evil thought and sexual immorality. With the with the seeming implication, uh, because I, I do want to not pretend like I know exactly what what the intention was, with the seeming implication that we because we're sinners we shouldn't shudder in disgust at these horrific sins, and I think that's uh, you know you're right I believe there is a point to be made that the church being soft on uh, heterosexual adultery or fornication things like that. Uh, did open the door to worse things. I, th- I think that the author does have uh, a point if, if that's what's trying to be said. But but man, I, I totally agree with you. It, it seems like, hey, just because you have a sin, <clears throat> you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't be disgusted by these things. And isn't that how uh, Matthew, that passage from Matthew is used all the time? Judge not, judge not, judge not. And the spirit of all sins are the same. Well, obviously, all sins are the same in some sense. All sins are damnable before God. Uh, all sin, you know, you, you, you break one point of the law, you break it all. But, um, but to me, um, what the author should have said was, was not uh, we shudder in disgust when it, when it suits us, but rather uh, we shudder in disgust and we should about homosexuality and pedophilia and transgenderism, dot, dot, dot. And we should also shudder in disgust at adultery and fornication and all these other things, because I think you're absolutely right. It is, it is softening um, our, uh, our uh, proper reaction to these sins. And, and instead of saying, well, we're all sinners or giving that impression, we should say no. And that should drive us to even see our own sins. I mean, there's a point of saying you don't want to be a Pharisee, 
But like what you said, I mean, the barbarians are not at the gates. They're inside the city yeah. and raging. And, and to write something like this is like a clanging gong. I mean, it is just so foolish when parents are worried about their kids getting groomed at school and by every, you know, Disney product and every movie company. I mean, it's, it, it's just it, it's, it's a lack of situational awareness and a lack of understanding of the context and what the what the war is being waged out there. Well, Matthew 7, 5 says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so yeah. if you're going to be true to the passage, then <laughs> it's like, then we should stop being so soft on it. And yeah. obviously there's no example cited here, but the presumption yeah. is that we were all soft. We're complicit in this. Okay, stop. Yeah. And now take the speck out. You're calling yep. all these other uh, perversion specks. So um, yeah, it, it kind of reorients though the the person who says i want to put a stop to this grooming or this uh this perversion that's impacting our kids lives uh they're going to hear this and they're going to the wind's going to be taken right out of their sails like oh yep. i guess i better stop and better examine myself first it's like no you're standing you have a right instinct here um, yep so yeah, yeah I, the effect is horrible it, it is yeah it is i i maybe my cynical side thinks that the person who wrote this probably that that is what they intend but let's give them the benefit of the doubt maybe it's not but it's either extreme ignorance or um some malicious well knowledge. and um i do not know the author but um uh, th this is this is uh, one of the female written essays and so um i don't know if this comes from a, a quote unquote uh, overly bleeding heart so to speak right or or I, I, I don't know. I don't know the, the lady. Um, but not only are the words uh, not well put and regardless of intent, I believe undoubtedly will have an effect of softening our understanding and rightful uh, horror at these things. Um, but she shouldn't have been writing this in the first place, plain and simple at all. So, yeah, no, that's a that is a big problem. Uh, why don't we go to the next issue here sure. on the list? Um, Ryan Turnipseed uh, says the conservative confessional Lutherans are saying that Genesis enti is entirely separate from any scientific theories. And he quotes, uh, it says, like the creeds, Genesis has no interest in scientific theories. So what do you make of this? Is this a soft peddling of the of <coughs> Darwinism somehow? No, it's not. Um, okay. Frankly, it, it, it really isn't. Um, is this a hit and a miss? <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm pulling it up. Uh, so just bear with me for yeah, a says, second. I'm sorry. Well, you're pulling uh, up. I'll just read the, the passage yeah, please the question. Do. These views did not begin with the apostles creed or the Nicene creed with Irenaeus or Augustine. Instead, they date back to the very beginning of Holy scripture into the first two chapters of Genesis. Like the creeds, Genesis has no interest in scientific theories. It does yeah. not seek to explain in scientific detail how God made all things, but rather that he made all things by his almighty word. And what that means for how we view the world and everything in it. And it goes on. Um, right. Um, so, so Ryan Turnipseed is saying th this is uh, an attack on Genesis, like uh, it's not literal or something. Yeah. Um, uh, the, so the, the author, um, I, I'm not super close with him, but I, he's a friend of a friend. Um, he affirms uh, six day creation. He's not an evolutionist. Okay. And in the rest of the essay, I, I think he does clean this up, but I'm not going to lie. And, you know, I'd say it to his face. I think the, the sentence particularly um, uh, like the creeds, Genesis has no interest in scientific theories. 
that's just a bad way to, to phrase it. Um, you know, it does not seek to explain in scientific detail. Well, that's true. However, it gives us facts and uh, historical details of creation, which by definition will exclude uh, certain, uh, certain false theories or beliefs about, about Genesis, like old earth or uh, evolution, all of those kinds of things. Here, I would categorize this of just a, a lack of clarity. Um, I, I really do think this one was uh, unintentional. However, at the same time, it, it, th this is why you, you need really careful editing. And, and if you're gonna put essays next to the large catechism, <clears throat> you have to be clear and you don't need sentences like that because I mean, just on its face, Genesis does uh, have, have interest in a sense about whether certain theories are true or false. Uh, because, you know, Moses, by inspiration, records certain details that naturally exclude certain things. Um, I honestly am going to chalk this one up for a lack of clarity. I think in the rest of the, in the essay, he makes it clear that he is saying, uh, he's not denying that Genesis is historical. I, I know he's not pushing any type of Darwinism. And, uh, and he, what his point is, uh, even though, you know, he uses some poor words, I would say, is that, uh, we've got to go deeper than just talking about creation science. I would say, though, th this is a problem perhaps of attitude. I don't know anyone who only just stops there. I mean, who who are these people? Do they really exist? Let's just think about creation science and not about the uh, about the other things that Genesis has to say. It's almost like a, a straw man. So, yeah. but I'm gonna I, I would chalk this up to a lack of clarity, frankly. Yeah. And, and it is important if you're going to, like you said, write a document like this, uh, the burden of proof lies on those who wrote it for clarity's sake, not the person yeah. uh, who's reading it and, and seeing red flags or yellow flags. The next one to me is this is a bigger deal. Um, I'm just going to quote. It, it says gender dysphoria is a form of suffering. It primarily concerns one's sense of self, not one's deeds. It is only one reason people might see themselves as transgender. Christians with gender dysphoria generally continue to experience it no matter how much they grow in faith and love toward God. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is well, what in the world? Yeah, yeah. What in the world? You know, any other sin? Yeah. You know, Christians. Uh, well, we'll pick something that's a hot button now. Christians with racial animosity and hatred, you know, against other races, they generally continue to experience it no matter how much they grow. Like we wouldn't say this about so many other things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is. It, and this is one of those uh, spots where I, as I said before, intentional or not, the author is taking on the framework of, of, uh, of the world, you know uh, I mean, it, you're identifying someone that their that their true identity, even though now that they are a Christian, is their sin. You know, um, I mean, that's not how the Bible speaks. I, I mean, it, the the Bible, and and also it's it's a denial of the power of God's word and of sanctification by the Holy Spirit through means of grace. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, you said it well. What, how, would we say this about other sins? It it, right. it it is totally taking on the frame of 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 the world specifically a uh you know psych psychological understanding of these of these things it, and i mean uh we don't need to go down a rabbit hole but i mean the psychologization of the church is just a, a disaster and so i i yeah that 
th- th- this this statement is is totally taking on the frame of the world. And even if uh, I, I'm sure the author would say these things are wrong, that's where you start seeing the wedge. Um, you start seeing the wedge between, uh, uh, and I'm not saying this author would would say this, but you see the wedge um, and the softening and uh, the pseudo acceptance of well, this is this is their feelings or this is their identities. We can't condemn that. Um, you know, an orientation isn't sinful; it's the actions. Right. I mean, that's when you start getting a wedge and you start seeing the softening towards these uh, towards these sins. You know. Um, that's a problem I've seen in the broader evangelical world a lot that they take on this uh, psychology, psychological reading, I guess, of the human condition and then impose that upon theology. And yeah. it's, it's happening all over the place. Uh, it, in fact, in very conservative circles, this idea that same sex attraction isn't really sin. That's just this orientation. It's like, you wouldn't, I, I, I hate the fact that they th- this is an exception that's made because there's so many other sins that we never say that about never you know you have this wife beating tendency you just i guess you just hate your wife that's just who you are you're de- we wouldn't say you're designed that way would we ever say that, yeah. that, that i mean that'd be a me too moment yeah. um one of the other things in this and th- i don't want to wax long just because there's so many so many uh tweets about this from turnip seed but social justice is used in multiple essays in this particular document in a positive way. Um, there's references to economic and social privilege in an article by John Arthur Nunes, and that, that you know, this is a, basically puts it in the same category as theft. Um, but, you know, the social justice, uh, here, here's like one line, I'll just give you a representative line. This is from a uh, Naomi, I don't know if I can pronounce this, uh, Naomi Ichi uh, Masaki. The center of numerical growth of Christians has shifted from the northern to the southern hemisphere, particularly Africa. European and North American churches senselessly impose social justice agendas upon these younger churches to maintain their supremacy. And and there's multiple essays with this kind of thing. Um, Well, if if I could, if I could respond to that one, please um, do so. So, uh, uh, Professor Misaki was was a professor I had at the Fort Wayne Seminary. What I think he is trying to say is that I believe he is going after the liberal Lutheran and other liberal church bodies that are trying to force traditional bodies in Africa, Asia, and other places. They're trying to ram the homosexual agenda down their throats, and they're using money to back themselves up. He's actually making a good point here. Um, yeah, like social, ju- I mean, I, I don't have it in front of me, but so it's and, in and I did not read his essay. Yeah, well, I mean, but he said social justice agendas. Is that correct? Yes. European and North American churches senselessly impose social justice agendas. Yeah, yeah. Upon yeah, he's talking churches. to. Yeah, he's he's because so the Missouri Synod has been approached by literally dozens of uh, Lutheran church bodies all around the world, um, not just from the third world, but also. Um, other places in you know East uh, Eastern Europe and places like that and Western Europe now um, who uh, they want help because they used to be part of the Lutheran World Federation and now that they've gone uh, really pro pro homo to put it bluntly yeah. um, uh, a lot of these younger and uh, poorer financially speaking churches in the third world uh, they 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 the, the LWF and liberal Lutherans will use money uh, and the withholding of money 
to force them to adopt uh, pro-gay or other, uh, you know, items on the social justice agenda. So I, here, I think, uh, I think uh, you got to read it the other way. So, so this is actually a good point against social justice. So that, yeah. So, so here's the weird thing, though. There's another essay, and I'm looking at this one um, by uh, Leo Poldo. A Sanchez. Yeah, Leopoldo Sanchez. Yep. And it says social justice deals with the promotion of justice in society. It best fits in a discussion of active righteousness, which to me, I'm just uh, I'm confused by this because it's like if so, if in this other essay, social justice is a negative, as you say, uh, that's North American and European churches are senselessly imposing upon these other regions then it winds up in another essay being a positive. So there's, um, yep. so, so which is it, right? Is the question, yep. I guess. Uh, and then of yeah. course, you know, those who uh, impose or, or uh, possess economic and societal privilege are somehow in danger of breaking God's law uh, against theft. Um, so yeah, it, it's confusing, I guess, to say that maybe that maybe that's the better term to use here. And not that it's all pro-social justice, but it, there's there's mixed signals. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And and this is this is a big, big problem. Um, and uh, I, I think that while while uh, while the Misaki read is 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 more in a negative way, I, I do think that it is undeniable that that there are so many terms that are, I would say, uncritically used. Um, Even if we want to be super generous and say, we don't know what the intentions were, the effect is not just confusion, but signaling for the left. And uh, so terms like social justice, uh, like you said in the Sanchez article or essay, is used in a positive light. Notice how it's not really defined very well either. Later on in a different essay, um, by uh, a guy by the last name of Latimer, um, uh, you know, like, uh, I think it's about hating your neighbor. He uses the term racism, never defines it. Um, uh, and, and, and that's what we have to understand. And that's what uh, we have to understand about the context and, or, you know, reading the signs of the time. And that is, is that these words are not created or used in a vacuum. They have a meaning. And if you don't define it, uh, very clearly of what you mean and what you don't mean, then people will naturally and rightly believe that you're using it the way that it's used in the public square. So you use social justice and you're not super, super careful about, hey, I don't mean it like those Marxists, but I want to use the term because I want to baptize it or whatever. I think that's a fool's errand anyway, but for the sake of argument, if you're going to use it, you got to be real careful with it. So, yeah, social justice, racism, gentrification gets talked about. I mean, all these things that match up boom for boom, you know, step for step with lots of leftist uh, causes and talking points, and they're uncritically used. And like you said before, you know, um, is this is this purposely subversive or is this uh, unintentional? Well, either way, in my opinion, it's bad news. It's it's confusing and it's going to cause problems. Right. And the effect is that this woke stuff worms its way in one of, one of the things too along the social justice lines i was uh looking at here in the thread is one of the essays i don't know who wrote this one um talks of it, it's uh well i'll just read it i write these words from the rectory of a lutheran church of saint john the evangelist in williamsburg brooklyn a neighborhood experiencing gentrification and i by yep. the way i live like two hours from new york city so i know exactly what he's talking about 
While there is an overall improvement for many as the rents and cost of living rise, there is selective intensification of impoverishment for some. The world does not consider the wrong and will not notice that the neighbor is placed at a disadvantage. And so um, Ryan Turnipseed is taking, and I think the impression I get from this thread is there's there's major issues in it, like uh, you know the issues we talked about in regards to transgenderism and homosexuality. I mean, there's another part that says the Christian with sexual dysphoria or the homosexual Christian is one of us, a redeemed Christian and also a sinner. It, there, there's thing, there's language like this. And then there's also things like this gentrification. It, I think the question that I have when I look at something like that is, well, why this, this is a very important document. Why is it in there? It's not to, It's not as if this is wrong to be concerned about people who are uh, displaced, which, by the way, for those who don't know, I live in New York. The, the, the social programs here in the state are just I mean, people um, there's a there's a town, Roscoe, New York. It's in the middle of the Catskill Mountains, rural area, fly fishing capital of the world, by the way. That's what they that's their claim to fame. Uh, and the, it's become now a drug town because the uh, people it, it's become a place where HUD housing went in. And there's a number of towns I can tell you about like this. And now it's it's people who are on the dole who are just living there. And so now they have problems with drugs and with crime. And that's all over the state. It's a liberal state. And the policies are are you know, very progressive. So people who are homeless or people who are uh who want to take advantage of these programs, there's plenty of places to go and take advantage of these programs. Um, and, and I'm not saying that in a, in, in a way that I, I'm not trying to say don't have compassion. I'm just saying that contextualize this when people scream about gentrification, because a lot of leftists do just know that it's, it's not as if though people are now just kicked to the curb, they're out on the street. And, um, I mean, it, it, it could be sad to some extent if the, the rising cost of living, you can't quite pay for. Uh, living in the place where you used to live but it's it's not the the villain that some of these people are making it out and there are positive effects of this and anyway, i'm going on at my own tangent here because i'm frustrated with people no that's fine that's fine new york and and kind of what's happening here but um you know i guess the question i have is why some of these little things end up making it to the essay because if you if you study the social justice stuff you'll know that gentrification is one of their big uh Example it's a buzzword where, it, where racism is and where repression lies. It's in gentrification. And it's like, no, it's not. That's not what gentrification is. <laughs> As it, who's the guilty party? You know, the person who yeah. bought up the property and made it look nice. <laughs> oh, my goodness. They're so racist. So, well, anyway, there, well, there is another example in that same essay, which further, um, you know, uh, adds to what what you're saying is where I, I don't have it in front of me, but um, th this is the Nunez article. And he complains about uh, how, or not, I shouldn't say complains. He says, he says, you know, um, basically in-group favoritism is, I mean, he doesn't use that term, but that's what he's getting at. Will sometimes exclude minorities from, uh, you know, a leg up in business or new immigrants who come to America. And, you know, uh, it's just kind of amusing, frankly, uh, that, that he brings that up. Because if, if my parishioners read that, they'd say, well, why are there federal and state programs that, that benefit immigrants over and above uh, native Wisconsinites? I mean, it's right. just, uh, you know, I mean, what world do you live in? Or even if you want to say, hey, some of the leftist talking points have a kernel of truth in them, and we do need to talk about it as Christians, fine. But why are all the examples 
Why are most of the concerns uh, leftist talking points and you're using their buzzwords and you're using their terminology and you're using their examples uncritically and not talking about um, uh, like what you said about the effects of uh, you know, folks coming in for public housing and messing up a town. You know, what, why, why are you, why are you dancing to the tune of the wokesters, to put it bluntly? Yeah, no, it, it, I think that you you captured my frustration in a very simple <laughs> sentence, because I do see the effects of that around me. And when, because I think what I, what I'm seeing is when people are pushed out of these areas, if you want to even call it pushing, when when they can no longer afford to, to live in these areas or they find that it's to their advantage to live somewhere else that's cheaper they will go into these small towns and and what about those people who live there sometimes their whole life you know and 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 the lives of their grandparents and their old the old homestead is there in this small upstate new york town and now it's overrun with drug problems with crime uh it's it's just we're only allowed to look at one uh example of suffering and not take into account the full range of uh, of what's happening. Um, so yeah, that does get under my skin, and that's why I went off. But um, you know, I, I just we've already gone almost an hour here, so I just want to put a cap on it if we can. What, what can Lutherans do? I mean, obviously, there's some positive movement from the president here, but what would you want them to do even now as they're hearing this and they're concerned that? this kind of thinking is making inroads in their denomination potentially should they write letters what should they do yeah i i mean i i said before they should pray for the president and everyone who's going to be looking at this document and you know i'd re-emphasize that but also i would encourage people to uh if they were able to get a version uh, i mean the electronic version before it was uh, i mean now you can't get it anymore it's off the websites uh, you can't buy it so oh. Yeah. So if you if you um, if you do have it or if you can get your hands on it through a friend, um, uh, you know, to read it and to, to send in your thoughts about it uh, to to the office of the president or your district president um, or if, uh, you know, if you're layman, uh, run it by your pastor, maybe maybe he can help you uh, write it um, and do send that in, because the more concern that is shown, the more that will, I think, inspire the president and whoever else is reviewing it to actually look at this in a very serious, uh, careful and wise way. But the bigger point, I think, uh, frankly, is, is a mindset point, to use that buzzword, um, the, the mindset that the world would have you uh, take on when it comes to these terms is well, why are you so uptight? Why are you so judgy? Why are you so concerned? You should be more trusting. I mean, th this is a bad mindset and it afflicts uh, all North American churches, as you know, probably better than I do because you, you watch this stuff more and you've been involved more. But the mindset of, of feeling ashamed or feeling uh, timid about, about actually saying, no, I am, I am going to be concerned. Like we're ashamed to be concerned about protecting uh, what we've been given by God. That's ridiculous. And we need to get over that. Uh, we, we, we need to really uh, push back and say, no, I, I have every reason. And I would be a fool. I'd be an idiot. Um, I'd be a sucker for Satan if I don't actually acknowledge what's right in front of my face. 
these words, this terminology, this framework. I'm not breaking the eighth commandment to say that this is bad news. I don't know what is in these people's hearts. I don't know all their intentions, but you know what? Whether they uh, are wittingly doing it or unwittingly, these terms and these examples and all this stuff, it fits right in line with what the woke uh, movement is all about. You know, saying basically all the problems in the world are from white Christian patriarchy. So why would you dance to their tune? Um, why would you uncritically or maybe even intentionally use their talking points without distancing yourself from that stuff? If you if you want to baptize some of the concerns, okay, fine. Uh, if you want to say, hey, we should be concerned about uh, the poor, uh, but I'm not a leftist. Uh, I mean, <laughs> maybe you should do that more often. And and we got to have <laughs> right. a better mindset because the Missouri Synod, is, as you know, got into huge trouble a couple generations ago, and we yes. we basically lost our denomination, and then we retook it um, to a large extent, anyway, in the battle for the Bible. And um, and I think that while it, it might not be at that level at this point. I think it's just as critical for us to keep our denomination and play in footsie with the world and play in footsie with uh, these terms. Uh, that's exactly what happened back in the 60s. Uh, and, and everyone would scold people who raised the alarm. And we just have to not care about, uh, you know, the, the woke scolds um, at all. We just can't care because yeah. what our heritage is, is too precious. That's a good point you just made about not caring, because that's the main thing I've seen keeping people back. They don't want to be called racist, sexist, homophobic. Yeah. Just let it roll off your back. Just do, you know, celebrate when it happens that they call Jesus names, too. And if yeah. they're calling you that name because you look like him and you're supporting his ethics, then um, praise God. So yeah. I love that point you just made. Well, uh, thank you so much for explaining this to us because um, it's outside of my wheelhouse a bit. And to um, I mean, obviously, I've seen this in other denominations, but um, the impression I get, I know I mentioned this to you before. I'll just say this briefly. We started recording is that the Lutherans, Missouri Synod Lutherans have um, a very intellectual class at the top, it, it, more so than Southern Baptists, I think. And they... Um, there, there seems to be all denominations perhaps have this, but in the Missouri Synod, as I've uh, followed the issue with Concordia as well, there seems to be a huge difference, like huge between the managerial elites, if you want to call them that at the top, and then those who are the, the rank and file pew sitters who just believe the Bible. Um, there's, I don't know why I get that sense, but I just do that. That's a wider gap. And you know, the, the president, I, I, you know, I do pray that his motivations are in the right place. And that's what I assume. But there, there may also be, I'm just saying a fear there of I mean, we're going to have a rebellion on our hands. We have, <laughs> you know, if we if we make the, the layman in these denominations, uh, you know, swallow this, these essays, then they are going to see through it and they're not going to accept it. And we could have splintering and, um, you know. That's a good problem to have, though, by the way. That's great that in the Missouri Synod, you have such solid people that are willing to write letters, but keep doing it. Keep doing it. Well, and I think that what you say, um, I, I think that there is some some distance between um, uh, the 
the the folks uh, at the top and the folks uh, out in the parish. I guess I would I would uh, so I'm not disagreeing. I guess I would just point out one other thing is that since the synod is a very tight uh, knit group of people, um, while I do I will admit I what what you say I I, I think maybe it's it, it's a, it's a slight overstatement. But it does resonate with me because I know that myself and others who are my friends have have been frustrated about words and terms and things being used. And and we say, you know what that does for us in the parish? Come on, guys. And yet at the same time, because the synod is very tight, letters and 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 things like that really matter because there's there's so many familial connections, old friendships, people who went to school together. And so doing those little things. really, really matters because there's all these close personal connections um, all the way up to the top. I mean, um, uh, President Harrison is is a guy who, when he goes to a conference, he he goes out and has a beer and cigar with, with the guys. You know what I mean? It, it is, it's still a very familial church in that way. And so it does matter to do that. There is a divide. And, and I do think that there is some ivory tower uh, naivete uh, out there. But my goodness, I mean, how wonderful it is. This is a silver lining I've been telling people I see in all this. How wonderful is it that uh, in the Missouri Synod, we've been, we've been discussing and fighting over doctrine for the last week and a half. I mean, that's awesome. Right, that's right. good. <laughs> that's a healthy thing. Yeah. And, and I think so what I was what I'm noticing that's different than other denominations is um, perhaps I'm locating that disparity in the in in the intellectual or academic side of of so so as you say there's an accountability there where you can go out and share a beer and you you have uh family connections and you're tight-knit which maybe that is the thing that's uh preventing missouri synod lutherans from going uh, as far down the road as some of these other denominations there's a barrier there but um where there is that disparity it's it's not in a um uh, okay, so I'll give you an example. Like in the Southern Baptist Convention, since I'm most familiar with that one, the, if you look at their annual meetings, it's not necessarily it, it, the, those at the top aren't there because necessarily they're intellectual or they have a- academic acumen. There, it's it's like the members of the resolutions committee, for example, they're handpicked. They're um, some some of them don't have academic credentials at all. But they're there because they're party players, if you know what I mean, right? So there's there's this disparity that exists between a ruling class, which is which has cr- serious corruption issues, and then those in the pews. Whereas in the Lutherans, it seems to me like it's a um, you, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's an academic thing more than anything else. It's people who have gone through and gotten educations and are rubbing shoulders now with other academics and maybe other Lutheran denominations and secular world, et cetera, they start to form language and examples and ideas and uh, that those in the pews never had the opportunity to form and don't want to form because they're not in that world. Right. And that's where the divide comes in. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, I, I, so I, I'll, I'll admit um, that, uh, uh, that you're up to some up your, uh, observation i guess with one word is credentialism and we do have that problem in the Thank missouri you. and 
Yeah. I should hire you just to summarize my paragraphs into one word or one sentence. So it'd be no, no. I, I love when you go <laughs> off on these tangents because I mean, I think, I think the different churches can learn so much, even though we differ on so many issues um, of importance, but I mean, we all have the same uh, enemy um, and we all have it come at us with this woke stuff. And so I always find it very enlightening when, when you talk about the Southern Baptist convention so that we can learn from those mistakes uh, because, because I mean, it, it is, it's like the sixties and seventies where there's an assault on the inerrancy of the Bible that didn't just happen in one denomination. It was across the board. Well, I mean, right. you, you mentioned modernism before. So, I mean, we need to understand uh, how, how uh, these attacks come because they come in very similar ways, at least from what I can see. Well, well the good thing to, to land the plane on a good note here is that as soon as you get that insular, we are the elites, you must listen to us. We don't care what you have to say. You're done. And the Lutherans don't have that. And that's the encouraging thing. I've seen that in other places with the Lutherans. There is still an accountability and a willingness to listen. Uh, even if uh, you didn't, maybe the people that are critiquing this document don't have all the academic credentials or haven't served in all the places we've served in, they may have a point. They may be followers of Jesus. They may, um, they, they, they may be someone worth listening to. And that, to me, is worth its weight in gold. And so uh, please pray, as um, uh, Pastor Ramirez said, for the Luther- Missouri Synod, for the president, and uh and, and get involved, I guess, however you can in that, in, in your denomination and uh, write letters. And so um, any final thoughts from you, Pastor Ramirez? No, no, that's a great final note. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thank you. Um, God bless. And uh, if people want to go check out your sermons uh, and stuff, can they go to, was it St. Paul? Uh, yeah, they're not. We, we um, don't have them online. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. You guys oh. are really traditional. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. well, uh, we'll, maybe we'll talk about that after I stop recording here and <laughs> sure. find out why, but, um, sure. so it, I mean, is there anywhere you want me to send people or, um, uh, you know, um, in terms of, uh, where to go, I mean, I, I would send, uh, so, uh, several of my friends are, are, are guys in the, the goddess Deans podcast. Um, I don't know if you've heard of them. I think we spoke about them. I listened to some goddess of podcasts. They're excellent. Yeah. 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 I, I, if people want to keep updated, um, Goddess Deans is primarily about worship and liturgy, but they, you know, I mean, our life of worship should lead us to proper actions outside too, uh, in, in the world and in the church. So um, I'd go to Goddess Deans if they want to see some updates on this and more commentary. Cool. All right. Thank you, Pastor Ramirez. God bless you. Yeah. Thanks for having me.